1: Yes, count
0: down to Christmas. This is the last one for the year. Very excited. Kind of. Oh ho, ho, ho. Yeah. But I, I was never a big fan of New Year's Eve myself or end of the year. Just something really depressing about it.
2: You don't find it, the rebirth aspect of it, sort of never recharging?
3: Mm-mm. Well, I think having the shortest day of the year is not great.
2: Yeah.
0: I also remember, like, when I was a kid, like, in the 70s, it was all, like, end of the year like top 10 music countdown and my friend and i would be fifth graders also excited and then the the top song was like one that we hated you know what i mean it was just <laughs> it, was, it was always a disappointment you know
1: <laughs> always felt a little melancholy to me yeah. too and that it's just it's that looking back thing instead of the looking forward thing.
0: and then as you got into high school it was always like not being at the right place at midnight you know with the right person or the you know fight to the right party i just remember one one year in high school i remember we were between parties i was with my older sister and we were like literally on some train tracks in the middle of nowhere ohio i'm like well this is just not the way i envision
2: this going tonight but oh well speaking of end of the year lists and stuff i got my thing from apple music which gave me my replay my year report on my replay from from apple music yeah like what's what musicians I listened to the most and what songs I listened to most. You would never guess what my number one musician that I listened to most was. Nobody Robin no. Russell. Taylor Swift? No. Brian <laughs> Eno? <laughs> no. No. Echo the bunny It was it was the band Sparkle Horse. Sparkle Horse. They were fun. Um
0: you're probably the only person in America
2: that had that at the top of their list I'm guessing.
0: Sparkle Horse
2: followed by Nine Inch Nails, The Flaming Lips. Yeah. And Elliot Smith
4: elliot smith now there's some uplifting tunage
2: yeah that's all there's a lot of really dark stuff and i guess it was kind of a dark uh...
0: you're in your emo phase is that what we're saying
2: i guess <laughs>
4: okay. i tend to bring the darkness
2: uh, so you'll appreciate this uh tom yes. 10 was john coltrane mm. eight eight was alice coltrane
4: oh wow alice was great too yeah that's cool
2: anyhow
0: that's me no, do I think a massive corporation able to track your music habits. I'm I'm a little suspect about that, so I'm staying on that
2: one. Yeah, you're right, but the trade-off is you I've got access to anything I want, I which I like. But it's almost like too much. Like I
0: don't know what exactly I would want. It's sort of like when I lived in the city, and I'd pick up the Village Voice to say, like, we should go listen to live music. I'm like, there's 700,000 bands playing tonight, and I don't know any of them, and I'm afraid to take a chance on it, I didn't know what to do you know what I mean it's like almost sometimes choice isn't a good like if you live in a small town hey there's two bands playing tonight which one do you want to go to but when you live in New York City in
2: the 80s it was just like overwhelming absolutely you know one one of my favorite things to do is read the name of new bands out loud
0: (laughs) I worked I worked at an independent film once where we were it was supposed to be like a jazz era 1950s and I got to make up the names of the bands to go on the on the prop album and um they were it was fun that was really fun that's fun yeah
4: I once did an article for Maxim about that. They they wanted me to do something on like the Marilyn Manson, you know, phenomenon where you take a beloved cultural figure and a hated one and you smack them together. And uh, the one that is my favorite, but they refused to run, was Peter, Paul and Hitler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. Are we allowed to say that Isn't on there? <laughs> in these troubled times?
1: Not in these day and age. Oh.
2: I like Peter, Paul and it. Oh, God. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, my, my, my husband used to do that with his friends for, like, with, with uh, TV shows and their favorite one was Gentle Benson.
4: Mm, that's funny. Oh, that's good. There's uh, a bunch of New York City bands. There used to be one called Aureo Speed Dealer that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> they were fun bands. Yeah, if I'd
0: seen that name, I would have known to go to that one.
2: But
4: There's a bunch of those. I never
0: came across that one.
2: So. One of my favorite band names of all time, The Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black.
0: Oh, the Karen Black. Band. She was the one that was in that little uh trilogy of terror with the little tiki doll, right? Yeah. Love that. That's, I
2: always thought that was just a great band. What was a
0: really scary that that whole trilogy of terror was really scary. And then the little thing comes to life. I'm like, really? It's only three inches tall. How scary <laughs> it gonna be. Remember that yeah. comes after it with the yeah, the chain falls off yes. or something.
1: I don't know any of these references. Not a single, <laughs> not a single one.
0: Oh well, I have to find it and send it to you. So uh, it was this really bad like Friday night movie of called trilogy of terror. And it was like these like shorts, like scary stories, but for some reason they never made any new ones. And Karen Black was the star of this one. And she brings back this um little um like souvenir from some, you know, cruise or something. And it's like this little, like, you know, South Pacific Island tiki figure with like a chain around its neck. And, um and the chain falls off and it comes to life and it attacks her in her apartment and, um, what, what was it, it, was, it was it a
1: little figure like like on the Brady Bunch when they went to Hawaii and there were kinda,
0: people. kinda. Very similar. <laughs> <better>. <laughs> but the better thing is it actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Remember> that?
4: <laughs> that was I think the only two part Brady Bunch episode. Yeah, I think right? right.
0: Well there is so much to cram in, they could not do that in half an hour. <laughs> but this little thing like it was kind of like that but it came to life and it was like it made noises and it was rushing around the apartment so you just see this little flash of like three inch fur going by the camera it was pretty
1: sounds sounds terrifying i'll
0: send i'll find it and send it to you because it's really important important um viewing for your cultural history so anyways anyway we're back again well i guess we should like talk about what we're here to talk about um so let's uh let's do our intros and get this show on the road shall we All right, that was Bill Sutton, who we heard on top of the podcast throughout pretty much the entire year. Hey, Bill.
1: Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
0: And also here's Brendan O'Reilly, back again. How are you, Brendan?
3: Doing good. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor.
0: And Joe Shaw is here again, talking about music. Hi, Joe. Hi.
2: Hey Annette, I'm Joe Shaw, I'm the Executive Editor of the Express News Group.
0: And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And we also have um, two amazing reporters on our staff who are joining us today for this story, and that's Tom Gogola. I said it right this time.
4: You did, Annette. Thank you. It's nice to be here again yeah, with you. It's
0: nice to say your name properly. I appreciate that. And um, also, is here's Michael Wright, Senior Reporter. And uh, how are you, Mike?
5: Uh, I am well.
0: Very good. Good to have you. So this is, um, we thought this would be an interesting story to talk about because Tom took a boat ride this past week, actually a very, very, very long boat ride. And that was about...
5: Just uh, sit right back in your hero tale. Tale of a great boat trip.
0: So yeah, we we're talking what, 35 miles out and 35 miles back off the coast of Montauk. And this was a boat ride with a lot of uh, reporters and we had, well, do we have a lot of elected officials on that boat, Tom?
4: It was a handful. Yep, a handful. there were um, Steve uh, County Executive Steve Malone was on up in the bow for a while, holding court while it was still nice enough to go outside to get a little colder during the day. Mm-hmm. And we had three of the East Hampton Town Trustees who were there, all from, you know, very interested in this project.
0: Mm-hmm. So the destination was about, was out to where the first of the windmills have gone up in the Deepwater um, Wind Orsted project.
4: No, it's, this is the South Fork Wind Project, so there's two out there, in it.
0: Oh, it's different. Okay, this is why I need your help.
4: One of them was the, the Deepwater Project, which is Deepwater Orsted, and this one is the South Fork Wind Project, which is um, Orsted and Ever Source. One of them is fully up and running and is providing energy to um, uh, Rhode Island um, and Block Island. Oh,
0: okay, so those are those windmills that you see off the coast of Block Island when you fly into Kennedy, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So,
4: and there are five of them,
5: and those are each six. Uh, or when you stand on the beach in Montauk.
0: Yes, you do see them from Montauk. I have seen them from there. Yeah,
5: okay. you can yeah. see them all the way from Amagansett, actually.
1: You say fully operational, Tom, but I think they've had some issues with with those um, since it's come online, where where it's not, um, they're not always all online at the same time, right?
4: Well, this is what my colleague Mike was talking about later. I don't know all the intricacies of why. They don't run them all all the time. It might be some something on their end that they. I don't really know all of that. I, that, I
1: think they've had some mechanical issues.
4: Yeah, yeah, major
5: major mechanical issues.
0: Well, let's talk about the South Fork Wind Project since that's where this boat was destined for. So, so sure. tell us a little bit about your. Um, your trip out of, uh, I guess Greenport is where you left from or Montauk?
4: From Greenport. Mm-hmm. So we had, there's a fast ferry. And so the boat, you know, besides the elected officials, there was basically anybody who had a stake in this, um, who was supporting it, um, or tangentially involved like PSEG, LIPA, um, and then all of the labor that was involved, the IBEW, um, I think the Teamsters were on the boat also. And then um, tons of environmental people and people who have been working on this, like um, Adrienne Esposito, who was a big environmental activist on Long Island for close to 20 years. So there was a real sense of celebration on the boat because these were people who were supporting this all along. And so we left um, Greenport in the morning and had a very pleasant sail out to the, um, to the area where South Fork went in. You have to go through the existing wind farm to get there. So we kind of stopped there for a minute and they, it was kind of cool to get the explainer about what was going on there. And then, you know, maybe about an hour further sail, I would say to the southeast, maybe a little longer. And then you just come up onto this kind of extraordinary offshore industrial site where you have the first of the um, wind turbines in New York state, which had just gone live the day before was spinning around and making a really kind of Neat, kind of haunting wishing sound and uh, and the thing about it is one of the things is you know, they don't really look that that large because you're out at sea, so you have no scale. like you really can't tell. but yeah. um, we got real close to these suckers and then you could see just how large they are. So these are the size of three statues of liberty stacked on top of each other. That's what they like to talk about wow. as we free ourselves from the you know from the, the oil economy into the renewable future. Um, and then you had um, the, the actual blades, which are um, the size of a football field, each of them. So they're gigantic. And um, and then there's one area out there where there's a, um, you know, there's a post or a stanchion, whatever you want to call it. And they've actually constructed a electrical substation out there. So it's just giant kind of permanent structure out there that I guess is tying in the, um, the, you know, the, the wind power to there, and then it's heading off to East Hampton. And one of the nice things that somebody said, one of the trustees was that they had been at this press conference the day before at town hall to celebrate this. And there was folks from the governor's office, all kinds of elected officials, you know, company reps, and that, you know, the lights were on in town hall and somebody made the observation that this is the, for the first time there is a, you know, we can't quantify it, but some of the electricity that was powering the lights in town hall was coming from this one you know, turbine that was up and running. Yeah. And somebody also told me, and you know, a lot of this is industry stuff, so you gotta take it with a, a little bit of a grain of salt, um, is that, so you have three blades, and every time one of those blades kind of comes down to the bottom, froomp, and then starts froomp, that a third of a spin is enough to power one home for one day, is what they say, mm. which is kind of an extraordinary thing to think about. And if it's true, you know this this thing could really actually do what it is intended to do, which is power um, East Hampton and then eventually Southampton.
1: Well, I mean, but the power is all going into the into the grid, right? I mean, it's not going to be specifically directed to East Hampton or or Southampton, right?
4: Correct. It's a power. Okay. It's a power mix. So
1: I mean, you're talking of qualities like power enough homes that you know that are in East Hampton, but it's not going to be powering east hampton
4: correct but i guess the idea and mike can please chime in here at any time because you're the expert is the more of the of the um the the wind power you add the less then you're pulling other juice you know other sources of energy out of the out of the mix so i guess for every megawatt that they can get on you know i'm going to just sound like a total idiot here but (laughs) <laughs> for every for every amount of juice you can provide from the windmill, they can then take away some portion of what's coming in from the uh, fuels. fossil
1: fuel. Fossil
4: fuel.
0: And this isn't necessarily going to make our bills go down. I think that's the other thing is people expect. Oh, we got wind. It's the bills are going up. They already went up.
4: I mean, like I like could just announce a twenty, you know, a twenty dollar increase, you know, this year.
5: They're going to go up.
0: Right, but I mean, they're not going to go down. So I'm saying.
1: Maybe in fifty years.
4: No.
5: No, they're
1: not going down. You you got to pay for the windmills.
5: It's a long, long time before wind power becomes cheaper.
3: You know, it does insulate you to spikes in fossil fuel prices, which happen. You know, there's not like a day when the windmills are going to be super expensive to draw electricity from. We already built in the price from them because they have a contract for how much Orsted's going to charge for that electricity. But you have the grid has to go out and get natural gas to create electricity and natural gas prices fluctuate you don't know what they're going to be in six months or a year so there could be something that happens maybe a disaster maybe just market forces that turn natural gas into a more expensive commodity than wind
0: so how many of those windmills will find will be um put up in that spot when they're when all is said and done when do you they think that that's gonna this
4: first round is 12 and they very optimistically said that they could all be done weather dependent by the end of the year, Mm -hmm. this year. Now.
2: That surprised me, Tom, when, when you went out there. So one of the turbines was completely done and running, obviously. What was the status that you could see on the other ones? Did did they all have uh, the posts
4: up and just no. no So you had 12 where you had, um, you had most of them, you could just see the, the, I want to call it the stanchion. I don't know what the, Mike what's
5: Mono, monopile that a called. monopile
4: Ooh, okay so then you have monopile that pops out maybe I don't know 50 feet into the air and then they put the big uh, the thing on it may sell tower oh yeah the tower and then they have to um and then they have to thread the blades in there and so there was one where they were literally just about to start threading the blades which was really cool because there was a ship out there that had these blades stacked on top of each other a huge crane out there to lift up the the tower that they were going to put up, so that was one. Another, a second one had been completed but not online yet. And then the rest of them, which you could see most of them, um, kind of lined up like a little picket line of them. Two two sets um, are just the um, those monopiles waiting for the, the 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 rest of the work to done. And there was, I think, four or five ships out there and workers. You could see workers on the on the electric substation and those guys. I mean, it's crazy you know, they, they get heloed out there. They have to do all the safety training and they have to learn how to, like, you know, cold water survival skills if there's a problem. So it's not just dropping off a bunch of labor guys out there and say, go build this stuff. It's super, super complicated stuff and dangerous. And, uh, you know, and from my perspective, just as a visual, as a visually oriented person, it was really interesting to to be ne- next to these suckers because they are
1: just, like, loomingly large. <laughs> Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27
0: Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sack Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit southamptonsackharborsbooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions.
1: And we sh- we should note that, that the reason for for the boat trip and the and the press conference is you know the one working turbine was the first um, operational turbine supplying um, electricity wind 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 up power to in in New York State. Correct, and it's a
4: utility scale project. And I believe the, the number that is that Hochul talks about is is a fifty five billion dollar investment in these similar utility scale. Or not just wind, but also solar throughout the state. So this is a big gambit by the state. And one of the things that a state guy told me and other people kind of mentioned was, you know, this is an important if you're if you support this stuff, um, this is an important moment because once you get that first one in there, it's kind of, you know, the the push is on to keep to keep moving. And you think about how how much um how long this took, how much opposition there was, and then the more recent stuff with supply chain issues which were a huge problem and because of covid and then um the ukraine war was uh, and impacted this also really and uh, and these different factors that you can't control for or plan for you know kind of lent even more of this like man we're getting so close we're getting so close so and then and i hope michael chime in here too but one of the um and one of the big issues here from the local perspective was commercial fishermen were very suspicious of this um, for decades. I mean, this was something you read about in the early 2000s. That was, don't do not do this out here. And that was during this period, I believe that the um, NOAA and the Obama administration were doing what they called marine spatial planning, which was basically setting out a, you know, a kind of a how to chop up the ocean into various industrial zones so that everyone had an opportunity. And fast forwarding to to this past week, you know, just to see this actually happen at this scale, you know, it's you think about it like how you know it's like a, building a power plant or building a nuclear power plant, it's a big deal. So whether you support it or not, Mike, I I wanted to ask you wrote a couple of weeks ago about
2: the economics of wind power and how it's sort of affected what was planned to follow the South Fork Wind project. There, there were some other projects that have been put on hold um, because the economics have changed a little bit. But in the long run, are the economics still good for wind power? What's Tell us a little bit about that story you wrote.
5: Well, you know, we don't know. I mean, yeah, the, the what, what's happened recently is uh, that, you know, it's just like everything. It's gotten way more expensive to build something these days. I mean, uh, a sheet of plywood is three times as expensive now as it was in 2019 so you know translate that so that that applies to these wind farms too and the problem is is that you know in this in in this um uh, convulsive uh, uh uh growth of the wind offshore wind industry which you know didn't even really exist except in concept in 2016 and uh, you know, you had you had those five turbines that offshore that uh, deep water wind built on Block Island, which is a tiny little, you know, experimental project, basically. And, you know, may or may not be proving the experiment to be a sound one. But um, eh, but then like almost within, you know, a year, you had literally hundreds of turbines in the application process, Um projects in uh you know the first the first big ones were uh are off of long beach uh those those have run into trouble now um there's there's a whole bunch out here in this same area so the uh you know block island turbines are right off of block island they're four miles off the beach and that's it's kind of its own project but then there's a huge federal lease area which um deep uh, uh, south fork wind is basically on the uh north western tip of and it extends out and east from there and it's thousands and hundreds of thousands of uh of square miles of ocean floor that the that the bureau of ocean energy management which is the federal um department in the uh, or agency within the department of the interior that that handles oil leases and that sort of thing. And also now uh, these wind leases, um, which have all been leased to these companies, Uh, you know, Deepwater Wind bought like 300,000 acres or 300,000 square miles. I forget which it is. Um, And they've now sold that to Orsted along with these wind projects. And so, you know, this, these 12 turbines are supposed to be uh, immediately followed by I think 80 more which is uh which is sunrise wind but that's been put on hold now uh there's another huge one i think it's 80 or 90 project uh, turbines that's under construction uh just about 20 miles to the east of where tom and these guys were the other day it's off of uh off the cape it's called vineyard wind um and that that's actually going to be online next year and is huge it's it's You know, dozens and dozens of turbines and is really going to be the first major utility scale uh, wind farm of the sort that there's a whole bunch in the pipeline. And, uh, you know, the math is that the costs have changed and a lot of these contracts were signed before the costs have changed. So the companies are sort of saying, well, that math doesn't work for us anymore. So we'd like to renegotiate and mostly. The people with the contracts have said, no, we're not going to renegotiate them. And so several have can- been canceled. Orsted, which uh, you know is building South Fork Wind, um, has canceled two projects that it had signed contracts with uh, in New Jersey. Uh, and they've said they're going to they they've asked to renegotiate Sunrise Wind. Um, the state has said we're not going to renegotiate. I don't think it's been canceled because it's in the application process and is it sort of it just reached some major milestone recently i forget what it is but um, uh, and bohem had a ruling last week that said well you need to reduce the number of total turbines um, in order to protect some cod habitat but the point the point being is that that is still proceeding even though the state is going to go out to bid um, for that for that uh, contract, the power purchase agreement that that contract has right now. And I think that if if Orsted is able to win it, um, which I would think they'd have a leg up since they've already invested a lot of money and they're sort of down the road already. Um, if they're able to win it, I would imagine that the application process will just proceed as is, and you know maybe a hiccup and that project will go forward. know if somebody else is able to come in and and bid at a new price that's lower you know maybe it'll just get abandoned and get built somewhere else i don't know because you know the two components are that you know what you're doing is you're you're selling contracts to produce electricity to the states and then you have to go and build these wind turbines for the money that you're going to get from that and uh you know technology is changing a lot you know i mean when uh when uh south fork wind was originally proposed it was going to be 15 turbines i believe but they thought they would only be six megawatts each back then and they ended up being 11 because the technology is just is is advancing just by leaps and bounds Hmm. there's already uh there's already like 15 and 18 megawatt turbines that are being being tested and are just mammoth i mean tom talked about how big these are. And I, I haven't seen these up close yet, but the, the ones at Block Island are huge. And the new ones are, uh, you know, are twice that height. Yeah. It's almost 800 feet high.
0: So has there been like a lot of like anti wind technology pushback from the drill baby drill people who just don't like the wokeness of windmills?
3: So I do want to speak to this topic, because in response to Tom's story going out on social, people were posting links to this other news that was just not being portrayed accurately at all. And what's true is that Spain is planning on dismantling one third of its windmills over the next five years. But the reasons are what's being lied about. The reason they are dismantling one third of their windmills over the next five years is because the windmills have a life expectancy of 20 to 25 years. So what do you do after 20 to 25 years? You take them down. People are interpreting that to say they're taking them down because they stink or because they don't work or because fossil fuels are better. That's not what's happening. They're taking them down because they knew they had a lifespan and they know that they're at the end of their lifespan. They're also saying that windmill blades are not recyclable, also false. They have a lot of metal and electronic components which are recycled routinely, but there's also plants opening now to recycle the fiberglass blades. There's a huge GE renewable energy project that's going on in, in Europe. There's huge contracts for this. They are actually planning for these things. We're not in a situation where Southwark Wind is going to put up these gigantic windmills now, and then in 20 years, they're going to put the blades into a landfill. In 20 years, even the recycling end of it is going to have advanced so much that they're going to know exactly what they're going to do to recycle the South Fork wind blades in 20 to 25 years. Mm. The other thing happening in Spain is, like Mike said, these turbines have gotten bigger and the technology is improved by leaps and bounds. So you might have a field that needed maybe it was 20 20, um, turbines in a field in Spain, and they might replace those 20 with 10 that produce twice the electricity that the 20 did. So it's not that Spain is no. turning around.
5: Probably six or seven times the electricity really 20 did.
0: They don't need as to like well,
5: yeah. I mean, you think I mean a, a 20-year-old wind turbine probably was only 1.3 megawatts or maybe two megawatts. And now you're now you're talking they're eleven or fifteen each.
3: Right. Well, the other distinction, Mike, is that these ones are on land. They're not offshore. So I don't know how much oh, of a distinction yeah. that makes and how much they can produce or how high you can. Yeah, know. no,
5: no, no. The onshore ones are much smaller. Right. Yeah.
3: So when you see these comments from people that are diving into rag on Southwark Wind saying it's a mistake or saying, look at Spain. OK, look at Spain, but look at the whole picture. Don't just read the headline that says they're dismantling old windmills. You know what else gets dismantled after 20 years or so? A nuclear power plant it will last forever.
0: They have nowhere to put the waste, yeah, right.
3: Yeah. So it, you know, when people say things like, oh, they're building on the ocean floor, so therefore wind energy is bad. It's like, okay, how do they build an offshore drill for oil? Doesn't that affect the ocean floor, right? I've always
0: wondered how they yeah, justify that. It's like right. really like that's yeah.
3: So that's when, when you look at the environmental impact of wind, like yes, there's going to be negatives. Yes, they are their ships running out to the ocean, and those ships have a carbon cost to run them, and maybe those ships have fossil fuels powering them. But what is the overall benefit versus cost of the entire project over its lifespan? Okay, there's some initial carbon cost to set up. But what is the carbon savings over its lifespan? You have an oil rig where there's a carbon cost to set up and a carbon cost to operating it over its lifespan versus a wind rig where there's some carbon cost to set it up. And then for the rest of its lifespan, it's reducing carbon needs for the entire planet. So I just really don't like the the people coming in with bad faith in their comments. And then the people who are so grasping for reasons to hate renewable energy that they they don't know that they're wrong and they don't know that they they've been duped but they're willing to repeat it without Mm -hmm. any critical analysis of the information because
4: it confirms their beliefs
0: so this project is really a poster child for wind energy in new york like they need this to go well right
4: i'll jump in here and follow on both what brendan and mike said you know uh, when i talked to somebody who's an orsted employee um, on background on the boat it wasn't for attribution but i can share that you know, they said that part of the problem in New Jersey, um, what is that? And you're you're in a, an industry that is ex- experiencing growing pains. It's a growing industry. So, Orsted apparently doesn't 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 have the 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 ships necessary to do that project. They're all out off of Block Island right now. So, you know that those kinds of intersections of ambition as met with reality are coming home to roost somewhat and you know it's a growing pains in an industry that is growing and you'd expect to see some you know some sort of but this person from Orsted so that said that the stuff going on in off of jersey is temporary that they're going to eventually build that it's not like it was canceled it was just that they had to you know kind of reconfigure what was doable based on the sheer demand for this technology that the state of New York and others are um, you know, are pushing forward as they're trying to get down to this kind of net zero goal in whatever, 2030 or 40.
5: Hmm.
4: So, and one of the fun things to, from my perspective about this trip was, you know, a lot of the opposition was kind of teeing in to this idea that whales were going to be impacted. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of science about the sonar, you know, maybe there's a little bit there. Okay. But what was interesting was that we had to actually sail at 10 knots to a a significant portion of this, uh, of ocean to get to this spot, because it's a right, a right of way for right whales. And then lo and behold, as we're turning around to go back, um, we see a whale spouting like literally like 20 yards away from the turbine that's operating. And it almost drew more enthusiastic oohs and ahs than the wind turbine itself. Not, not quite as many, but so I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, you know, the, the technology is advancing similar to the way it's advancing in the solar world where you're just getting so much more bang for the buck now. And, you know, if you're if you're progressive small P, you ought to be supporting this stuff. Was
0: that a legit right whale you
4: saw? No. Well, I can't say for sure it was a right whale because I just saw the spouting. So I don't want to get ahead of the facts here.
5: Almost was- certainly not. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I think it was a narwhal.
0: Yeah, even rarer. Like 12 <laughs> bright whales in the world. I'm like, mm.
1: hope, hope you find your dad, buddy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, Mike, do you want to talk a, a little bit about what you know of um, maybe the other the other side of that and and the people who maybe aren't so enthused about these turbines coming online?
5: Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, like like, you know, to Brendan's point that, you know, the opposition, which has largely been led, uh, you know, you you mentioned, uh, you know, is the fossil fuel industry steering us, you know, I mean, not really, it's not like Exxon is running uh, anti wind farm uh, commercials, but there's probably a certain extent in the, you know, the shadows of of social media that they're contributing to uh, the stirring of of discord over this. But now mostly, you know, mostly it started with commercial fishermen, certainly who, you know, are worried that this unknown is going to fuss with things, and uh, you know, they're they're not wrong when they say this isn't something that has been really tested in the same uh, conditions that we have here. You know, the 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 northeast coast, the coast of the United States, and the northeast in particular is a is a very unique ecosystem um, in that we have this shallow coastal plain that is probably one of the most fecund um, natural environments on the planet and this this uh, enormous biomass of animals that migrate up and down it every year and you're going to introduce this new industry which you know it may seem like it's quiet when you're just hearing those blades whooshing by but you know, underwater and uh, mechanics uh, don't really mix and they, they turn into a megaphone and these things create noise and also it's electricity. And so, you know, the the sort of layman's understanding of electromagnetic impulses and such that we hear about um you know can be a little scary and so you picture all of this stuff underwater and you have fish that have lateral lines and you know they they operate you know, they navigate the world through uh, little electrical impulses it's you know it's it doesn't take too much of us of a, uh an imagination to picture these things really fussing with that and so that's that sort of spurred this uh this hesitation about it and then put on top of that, how quickly and the extent to which this is being uh, uh, grown, you know, if it was those five block island turbines, and then maybe they're going to build 12 more 10 years later, and, you know, we'll see how that goes and see if there's any reaction, that would be one thing. But when you go from zero to thousands of these things are are sort of in the pipeline in some form or another um, it, you know, that quickly and without anybody knowing what the impacts are, uh, it, it makes people uneasy. And, you know, like like with oil rigs, you know, if they were proposing putting a bunch of oil rigs uh, 20 miles off of Long Island and, and Massachusetts, people would be freaking out also. So it's not just sort of an anti-woke thing.
0: But isn't that kind of what that side is saying? They want to drill. Like, I mean, that was I remember what Trump was talking about before he lost the last election that he was going to try to put like more oil.
5: Right? Well, that had that had been talked about, and that that's something that Boehm, uh, you know, kind of always keeps out there. And and you know, the 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 federal government and the Department of Energy have all are always on the lookout for new sources, and there is some consideration that there may be oil. Um, somewhere off the uh, Atlantic shelf. It wouldn't be where these turbines are. There's no oil here. It would be out off the continental shelf. So out a hundred miles out in the what we call the canyons. Yeah. Um, and there was some talk about opening up oil prospecting out there, which has really basically never been done. Um, I don't think they know, I'm sure they know that there's some out there, but I don't think extensive uh, mapping has ever been done to find out how much or where. But that's that's all on the on the shelf. But, you know, there's some there's some concern that this is opening that up because of the whole land lease thing and this and that. But there's no evidence that that's really on the on the horizon. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, some administration could put it on the front burner. Um, I don't think that would be met well by anybody. The anti wind farm folks would probably be at the front of the line to uh, stand up against that also. But yeah, most, mostly this has been just fear of the unknown and it's, you know, it's not completely irrational. It's unfortunate that, you know, just because of the way, you know, we are as people, when we're against something, we look for every single possible, uh, you know, spitball you can throw at it and a lot of it you know a lot of misinformation gets tangled in there um you know the the whole thing about you know they were going slow on the boats to protect these whales it's like you know the 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 the, the crowd that has seized on uh the the plight of whales as the uh as the argument against building wind farms um is, is just wallowing in misinformation and half-truths and is completely ignoring the fact that the way to save the lives of whales is to make ships go slower on the east coast. And nobody ever talks about that anymore. In fact, they hate it because one of the rules that NOAA has used is these slow zones. and they're voluntary. um but it, you know, ships are supposed to go ten miles slower. The problem is that they made the rule for all boats over thirty five feet, which means, Tons of recreational fishermen who are like, I would never hit a whale. I couldn't hit a whale. Who the hell has ever heard of a boat like mine hitting a whale? Um, and uh, and you know, and commercial fishermen obviously who you know have some concerns about, you know, not being able to run home fast if a storm's coming and that sort of thing. So <clears throat> there's there's some unfortunate things in the in the process that have that have uh, complicated that when really they should just be making. Tankers and cargo ships and uh, you know big freighters and barges not go more than ten miles per hour and you know that would cost money but,
2: right.
5: but if you want to protect whales that's what it is because that really is what's killing the vast vast majority of the whales and if you know there's some that you can't prove they were hit by a ship because they're so decomposed when they wash ashore you know sonar from these boats mapping the ocean floor which is not the sort of sonar that they use for deep oil drilling um which has been shown to be a real problem for whales but doesn't make them spontaneously combust <laughs> you know the whales don't just die they're covered in oil up. i could
0: <laughs> see them just bursting into flames
5: yeah so yeah it's on un- it's unfortunate that that has been the way it is but you know i mean that's just that's just the way we are with Almost everything, right? When when we get our headset against something, we look for everything we can throw at it.
4: This is Katherine Manu, and
0: I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the Internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses but we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27east.com/subscribe and thank you for your support. Mike, can I ask you um you know there've been offshore windmills operating off the coast of Europe like the North Sea for decades. Is yeah. there not Yeah,
5: third, about 30 yeah, years. Yeah, so
0: is there not 30 years worth of of research evidence um, examples to show whether or not this is a legit there
5: there there is, there is um you know, the problem is is that you know we thirty years ago, twenty five years ago, we weren't quite as savvy about such things. So there weren't like surveys done before they were built to see what was there. Mm-hmm. They haven't been tracking throughout their lives how things have changed. In the last ten years or so, they have done that more um also you know the ocean off of europe is very different than the mm-hmm. ocean off of the uh, off of the northeast they do not have the biomasses of animals moving up and down the coast that, uh, that we do here um it's the water's much deeper it's much colder uh it's you know a lot of those turbines are out in the north sea that it's a very different environment the,
0: the cold water though is more nutrient rich though you think there would be abundant sea life that would you know yeah but you
5: just don't it's not the same when you don't have that coastal plain ecology you know you don't have the food chain you don't have marshes that are creating crabs that and shrimp there and there's little minnows and then there's you know there's yeah. you don't build that that whole food chain up to whales, like we have. I mean, they do have whales there, but um, yeah, they they have they have fish species there. Just not, it's just not the same. It's kind of more like the west coast of the United States. But um, you know, interestingly, one of one of the things that they have found is that uh, lobsters um, have sort of flocked to some of the wind farms off of England um and you know the, so there's some people that think that actually that might be the electromagnetic impulses wow. uh, you know that the animals creepy crawlies along the bottom you know they're just bugs right and so they sense something and they Good
0: structure there coming
5: to check it out exactly so oh, uh, that's you know that's that'll be one of those things that you're just going to see uh, you know a lot of recreational fishermen even though were, were sort of instinctively against this sort of disruption in the natural environment, see these windmills as artificial reefs that are going to attract certain, you know, and guys fish, right, the spear fishermen especially love the Block Island wind farm and dive mm-hmm. around the footings of, uh, of those all the time. They're, they're a little different. They don't have monopiles. They have jacket uh, foundations, which is like a big steel like the old school kind of uh, radio antennas that were just a big lattice work. Um, and so there's tons of structure down there on the bottom and, and the divers, there's sea bass and stuff around those. So the divers right. love those. Um, so, I mean, so
0: that, that came online in 2016. Is that right?
5: 2016. Yeah. And so, I mean, listen, we're going to be the Guinea pigs basically for this, uh, for this industry and for better or worse, Any
0: complaints about those like any of these fears played out on the block island wind farm i know it's not as far out they're not as big not the same thing
5: yeah I'm right, like, exactly
0: i just say have there been any negative impacts there that yeah. we should be aware? now
5: of? i mean the the thing that the opponent sees on with those is that the damn things are never working uh you know i mean i have not seen all five of them turn since at least 2019 maybe 2020 um and for the last at least two years, maybe almost three. I don't think I've ever seen more than three of them turning. Um, there was never more than one turning for more than a year, if any were turning. They had they had some structural problems. The blades had stress uh, fractures. They had guys out. We had a great picture in the paper um, of a guy like, you know, rappelling down one of these 150 foot blades, 200 feet above the ocean, it was wild. Um, and they they did a bunch of work, I think they replaced some blades, I'm not sure that they might have just repaired them or something, but they're, listen, they're clearly, they're clearly um, having problems, and shame on you, Orsted, uh, they have not at all been open about yeah. what the status of those turbines is, and how much power they produce, how often they're working, why are they mostly off most of the yeah. time.
0: Yeah, that doesn't help their case, does it?
5: It does not help the, uh, the public image of offshore wind. Mm-hmm. That's for damn sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Can I just throw,
4: throw in something here on that point? Um, which is, I have no issue with that point. But I also think that there is um, unrealized opportunity that is part of this, this project. And I just recollected the other day, I knew a guy in Montauk a long time ago who used to sit at the bar and joke about how what Montauk needed in the wintertime was uh, an oil tanker to you know break open and have a huge oil spill in Montauk because that would provide the town with a winter's worth of hotel rentals to all the engineers and government <laughs> people who to come out there to deal with this. And he was joking about it. But when you think about these wind farms, you now have a built-in industry that's off the coast that I'm not suggesting is going to you know help with the wintertime economy in Montauk, but it kind of plays into idea that this is actually you know could represent an opportunity for people and the other thing i read about and i maybe mike knows more about this i do but in norway apparently they have these very popular tours like wind farm tourism is a big block deal. island uh, yeah block so, island
5: has a whole industry of, of wind farm tourism
4: i mean that's pretty cool and then they hired a bunch of these commercial fishermen guys in montauk I, minus or a few of them to go sit out and basically direct traffic and they paid them. To like you know direct traffic out there so there are unrealized opportunities and i do want to throw down for mike for his deployment of the word fecund because no one ever uses that word it's a word that you only see in print and i just think oh the fecundity mike oh the fecundity
0: <laughs> well i kind of love that we're like looking at wind power when everyone's like oh this is so new it's like look around the east end and see how many buildings you see that used to be powered by wind i don't know Seems like-
4: well just and not to belabor the obvious but you know, you want to talk about putting offshore oil. I mean, just go back to the Deepwater Horizon debacle. I mean, that is months and months of horror down in the go- in the Gulf Coast. But jobs. But it's <laughs> <stops. covered> <laughs> jobs. Yeah, it? about- you know, hey, what? I was down <laughs> there. During jobs, that time. Tom, there you go. <laughs> you know, I was down there during that and it. Was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, yeah. you were in New Orleans. You were like it was like you were sitting in a, a tub of oil. It was disgusting. And that went on for many, many months. And none of that is going to happen with any of these, these, uh, these turbines
5: these, these wind turbines. Yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. it is an industry the, the, you know, like you said, the opportunities, there's, there are a lot of jobs. There are going to be some jobs in Montauk, you know, just related to South Fork wind. Um, you know, they are basing some of their, some of their boats in Montauk. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a few jobs that have been created out of that. A lot of them are going to be in other places, uh, you know, um, uh new london but uh, groton the the other side the connecticut rhode island side um uh, of of the groton new london harbor has is a huge new wind farm facility and they're going to build one in brooklyn and they're going to build one in port jefferson and you know it it is it's a whole giant multi multi multi-billion dollar industry that's basically going to pop up out of nowhere mm-hmm. and in the long run it will it will be a lot of jobs listen you know not not to not to foment the uh, hysteria but if it if it changes migratory patterns of fish species on the east coast it ain't worth it but mm-hmm. that said it is going to have broad uh, wide reaching impacts uh, uh, you know across uh, beyond just fossil fuel reductions if there's any which fossil fuels aren't going anywhere anytime soon right
0: can you talk isn't there an issue with the cable as well on the seafloor coming in at Wayne Scott some the concern about um certain um i guess commercial fishermen who drag is that was that do i understand that well yeah i mean
5: no, that was that was all part of the 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 same thing cuz obviously the cable and the electromagnetic impulses that was that was a big concern uh, yeah now the commercial fishermen raised a, a lot of a lot of beef about uh, about the trenching to bury the cable which was sort of rich from an industry that makes its living dragging Things across the bottom, but um, you know, I mean, th- there were those concerns. There, you know, they had a problem on Block Island. They didn't bury the cable uh, sufficiently, and some storms exposed it, which didn't really affect anything. Really, it was ugly as hell. Um, but so that was a big concern here. Now that you know, when they installed it in Wainscott, they they used horizontal drilling, so it's you know it's eighty feet down oh, it and is. goes out fifteen hundred feet before it comes out. Does that mean it's completely immune? You know, who knows. But I
0: just picture an orange extension cord.
5: Right, right, which is what it is, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's just a big extension cord. Is all this is.
0: Are they going to have like a windmill cam? I just like they do at the beaches. I would just love during a hurricane to be like able to see how fast those people. Babies...
5: That'd be a good idea to yeah. you know. That'd be good uh, public relations for them, but you know
4: i i asked orsted about that stuff last year when i was out at a wainscott because of the security issues and there's 24/7 yeah. monitoring of this oh states. yeah yeah
5: no there will there will always be somebody there regardless i don't know if they actually have like quarters on the uh on the substation or not it's it's possible it's big enough certainly um uh but yeah there's there's people there'll be people out there pretty much all the time um I mean, never mind that, you know, there's gonna be construction going.
4: Yeah, people are basically living out
5: it. Right. So right now they're living there while they're while they're building it. Yeah. But once they're operating, you would think they don't they don't need a lot of people there. But I bet you there's somebody there pretty much 24-7 yeah. um in some in some form or another. What a
4: cool job. And it could provide for an affordable housing opportunity <laughs> yeah. down the road. Too. <laughs> they should
3: exclusively give those jobs to like novelists.
4: <laughs> it could yeah. be a
0: sabbatical <laughs>
5: thing, yeah. Just, just where you need a bunch of land lovers on sticks out in the ocean. I could see Stephen King out
0: there writing his next horror novel, right?
2: We we shouldn't end the conversation without saying, on the economic side, that these are not going to bring our electric bills down anytime soon. They're probably going to go up a bit, right, Mike? Isn't that true? Yeah,
5: well, a lot actually. You know, it's it's new technology and. Uh, You know, South Fork Wind alone is raising the price of electricity. I forget what it is. It's like a buck and a quarter or something like that per bill per per resident, because it's almost it's two billion dollars over the next 25 years or 20 years that LIPA is going to pay to Orsted. Um, And that's spread out. You know, I mean, you know, like you said, this is this is coming ashore in East Hampton. East Hampton is making a lot of claims about it going to make the town carbon neutral or whatever but uh yeah the power is not going to east hampton that's just where it's being added to the grid you, you know a lot of that semantics you can you can you can argue whether that power is being used here before it goes anywhere else or not it's uh you know if if uh if the somebody blew up the shinnecock canal and uh left the south fork as an island we couldn't rely on south fork wind mm-hmm. to uh to power our homes i don't think but um yeah, it's uh, it's going to get more expensive uh, in the long run. Uh, it, it gets cheaper with each one you build, right? Because the it's uh, economies of scale, and you know they have to build. Like Tom said, they have they don't have the ships, and they have to build ships because you can't just hire ships. Some of those ships that you saw out there, Tom, are are from Denmark and are from Europe, but they're not allowed to touch anything that comes ashore in the United States—people, equipment, or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have the jones act and so there's uh orsted itself has actually built two ships just for the construction of wind farms uh one of them i think is there and um uh you know that's what's going on you have all these companies are, are building ships down in louisiana and texas uh that are specifically to be used they call them jones act ships because they're specifically to be used in these projects and they're they're a type of ship that doesn't exist otherwise and has to be built so you know that's jobs elsewhere too and wow. some benefit but it's expensive but each time you build one of those now the next wind farm you go build you don't have to build it just one. had a so... flashback
0: to eighth grade social studies with that
5: <laughs> the jones act yeah which was uh what the hell did that start from it was it was something we would it was something we would all remember but it's really interesting because it comes up in beach nourishment too Um, because there's um, uh, sand supply. Is the Smoot-Hawley Act involved here or the Teapot
0: Dome scandal? How's that? I
4: don't remember what that was. Well, the Jones Act actually came into play during the um, Deepwater Horizon catastrophe because there there was apparently a big controversy about a ship from Denmark or whatever, or Amsterdam, that was a boom, a ship that was like an oil sucker-upper ship that they we not allowed to bring here and it turned out to be a bunch of nonsense but um but the junk yeah. act is part of the deal here as mike says so yeah. you talk
1: about cost and maybe cost going up um you know for individual users and all that but what's the cost if we don't promote green energy and and you know wind farms and and solar and and you know and the cost is 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 a warming dying planet so you know i mean i mean if we have to bear a little more to get this technology going, I, I think it's um it's worth 20 extra bucks on a on a life
5: Well about. and that's the progressive view. And you know I mean that's well,
0: and then and, and coincidentally we had the CO the COP twenty eight climate summit this week in Europe, which um I guess there was some movement made on limiting fossil fuel use down the road. So we are totally cutting edge here on the East End of Long Island.
5: Yeah. I said yeah the Jones the Jones Act, you know what it was it was basically a union thing. It was meant to protect the merchant marines from from being put out of business by, by, you know, marine companies from other, from other countries, but
0: I was going to say unions, it
5: still has a lot of weight in a lot of different, a lot of different things. That
0: absolutely felt sp- like a union thing.
5: And by weight, I mean, it interferes <laughs> what with year it, was that act 1920. By? Yeah. I mean, it interferes with a lot of things because it makes, you know, everything so international now. And there's huh. uh, shipping, especially is is something.
0: Well, in those days there was rum running. I wonder if this was a rum running. <laughs> yeah, right. Was,
5: yeah, right. Was it? Yeah,
0: right. Because that was right in the middle of all that, that yeah. bootlegged stuff.
5: Yeah, that I was, think it was. I think it was a little before prohibition, but.
0: So, how much do we know about the 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 plans for wind farms up and down the coast? Like, are they building them all yeah. the way down south to the Carolinas and north? Yeah. Uh,
5: no, there's none north of Cape Cod that I'm aware of. Um, I think probably just i mean maybe that would come down the road they probably just don't have the population up there to really to really make it mm-hmm. worthwhile um most most of the focus right now is in the northeast is around the new york bite and here off of uh uh-huh. you know there's 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 uh, i think there's at least six projects uh here like which you know we'll call it off of montauk but most of it's closer to martha's vineyard in nantucket Um, there's six projects that I think are actually in the approval process right now um, that, uh, you know, you got these two to New York uh, and then there's three or four to Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Then you've got several in New Jersey. um, You've got several in the New York Bight that are New York and New Jersey. uh, And then all the way down the coast, there's Maryland, Virginia, uh, the Carolinas. Mm -hmm there's there's I, I, I think there's a few that are sort of still distant south of the Carolinas, um, but the, the you know the the ones the very early on be, just because the land leases, you know, they got started up here the soonest, probably because the demand is the highest. And so uh, we're we're at the you know we're at the vanguard and um, there's but it's yes, it's happening all over the coast. there's there's west coast west coast projects uh, in the planning. I think there's a couple in California that are pretty far along. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be the the guinea pigs because we're going to get, we're going to have the most, the fastest.
0: Is there something about our, um, our geography, you know, with the big, um, continental shelf that doesn't necessarily exist elsewhere, um, that makes us, um, a particularly attractive part of the world to put these things up? Yeah, we've got, yeah,
5: we've got shallow, sandy shoreline, Mm -hmm. um, where you can build these things relatively far out to sea um so they're not like right on the beach which you know nobody wants to look at them Mm -hmm. um also the wind blows more out there um and uh you know the i think they can build them in i think they can build them in up to 200 feet of water now but really like that 100 to 120 feet is really the is is what they see as the ideal depth um they're they're building floating ones there's some floating ones already Mm -hmm. um that are basically just tethered to the bottom which obviously could be built put out anywhere you know you can put them out in the middle of the ocean um you know you do you do have some uh some uh, power loss the further you pump the energy obviously through the cables <laughs> it's small but it's there um so you know yeah i'm here here mostly that you know 20 miles out is uh is basically the the sweet spot for uh, for wind farm development and you know we're going to get it and you, you know 20 miles out you're going to be able to see those very clearly uh, i'm I'm very eager to see these ones that they put up now and whether we can see them from Montauk. They tell us we can't. I think they're full of it. I think yeah. we'll we'll be able to see them.
0: And I'm really curious, well. I'm really curious to see what happens in a hurricane. Like how how fast those babies spin. All of a sudden our lights all get. Oh, off. they don't.
5: They turn them off. They don't spin at say, all. They don't, yeah, they, they, don't, they, they, they lock them. They lock them and yeah. they um they release them so that the pubs will turn to yeah. face against the wind so that they're angled to the wind yeah. and uh yeah, they don't. Yeah, because I, I have a I have a friend who's actually in the wind farm industry in Scotland, and you know, obviously they get hurricane force winds all the time. He's built wind farms up on Skye and everything, and uh, the wind howls there. And yeah, they just they just shut them off. They can I think they can operate in up to like forty knots of wind or something like that. Um, and again, there's a sweet spot there. You know, they they really like it blowing like 25 all the time. And that's why the ocean is, uh, you know, the ocean is is such a ripe opportunity for that industry because, you know, you couldn't build 900 foot turbines on land and the wind on land doesn't blow hard enough or consistently enough for it to be worthwhile. The, you know, the tur- biggest turbine on land turbines, I think are three megawatts or four megawatts, something like that. And most of them are small. Um, You see them in California and North Dakota and stuff. Those are those are tiddlywinks compared to these things. And uh,
4: well, they're tiddlywinks in terms of the size, but I tell you what, they are all over the place in the American West now. I mean, and I all these and even places that are very conservative states where you would think this is like drill baby drill country. Man, I drove cross country two years ago, and they're everywhere. Wyoming, Iowa, all over, and all they basically put them in any area where there's like a you know public right-of-way you know along highways and stuff like this mm-hmm. so the rest of the country is already doing this i mean it it's not a,
0: it's not unlike that growing up in ohio when i was a kid it was like you know ford gm that was it and if you drove anything that was not made in america you would you took your life in your hands in some of these like yeah. towns and around cleveland now it's like you know honda and you know bmw and all of these manufacturers are like thoroughly entrenched in these Midwestern states where they're making, happily making Japanese cars. Um, And uh, it's not become an issue. It's not an issue anymore, you know?
4: Do you need a weatherman to tell which way the wind's blowing, Mike?
5: (laughs) No, I have an app for that. I can bring this
4: thing full circle. You know who uses
2: fecund in a song? Sparkle horse. The tree that you planted has become fecund is a lyric in a sparkle horse song.
0: So did you search for that word while we were, the rest of us were talking about like?
4: No, I knew it was in the song. No, but that's the point. I knew it was in the song. <laughs> Sparkle Horse was just coming out the gate when I was working at Guitar World way back when. So Guitar World, Guitar world. and
3: did anybody recognize the name Sparkle Horse? And they just Tom the, did.
2: He died ten years ago, but just had a new album come out. It's
3: not Sparkle it's Horses, Brendan.
2: It it's a he, Mark linkus Link House.
3: Oh, it's a he. It's not even a band named
5: Sparkle
2: Horse. Oh, okay. Sparkle Horse is another word for a motorcycle.
5: <laughs> okay, on that little obscure music history note.
0: Well, too bad we don't have the licensing agreement to allow us to now play Sparkle Horse on our way out.
5: Oh,
2: I have a great story about Sparkle Horse, but I, you don't want to hear it. We
5: we want people to listen to the <laughs> podcast next week, Joe.
2: Oh, look at
0: the time!
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Gotta go, everybody. See?
0: <laughs> we have a holiday party to get ready for some of us.
3: Oh, we weren't okay. supposed to talk about this in front of Joe. <laughs> yeah, don't
0: talk about it, Joe.
2: What? There's a party?
0: All right, well, this is a good way to wrap up 2023, like new technology on the horizon. And by the way, this will be our last podcast of 2023. This will come out on December 21st, and then we're going to take off the next two weeks because we deserve it, and so do you.
3: It's the holidays,
2: but we'll come roaring back.
0: Enjoy it, eggnog, and think of us.
3: We'll see you on January 11th.
1: 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude, Flute Music, is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.